Well, certainly it's great to be with you this morning. One of the, uh, the items I'm always amazed is how God is sovereign. In trusting God, there are three key truths that we need to understand, right? That God is sovereign. God is infinite in wisdom, and God is perfect in love. And in everything that we do, we know God is in control. And as the Lord lays on people's hearts, as, as his messenger is used to, to preach the word, uh, I am always amazed at how the Lord puts things together. And what I mean by that is certainly all of the, the songs that were sung this morning are focused on the Lord being our highest, being our priority. And the challenge that we have today is that very thing. Where are your priorities? I've entitled the message, Mastering the Power Button. You may say, what in the world is that all about? Well, stay tuned, and you will understand what that's all about. Uh, over the past few months, I've had the privilege of leading the college and career, doing that jointly with uh, Pastor Chris with his illness um, and his being away a few times, even being today, I've been able to do it a little bit more, I think, than he has. And I've really enjoyed my time with, with those folks. It's, um, it's, it's getting to recognize and realize that that, that age group is, is at a crossroads, right? They're at a stage where they're trying to, to figure out, I'm moving from being within my parents' control to taking on more control, more responsibility, and then moving on my own. And the challenge that, that they have is certainly, how am I going to make decisions without my parents telling me what to do and make them that are based on God's word? I appreciate and have been impressed by their attendance. Um, we've had all the way up to almost 15 at one time. And uh, our, the, when you play games with 15, it's a lot more fun than playing it with two. Me and Kristen. <laughs> Not that that's ever happened, but it, it, it's great. And, and their attitude has been great, the desire they have in their heart just to come and talk and share. You know, there's a lot of things they don't want to share, but certainly uh, I ask the questions and I just pause. And you know, when you pause, people get uncomfortable and someone s says something, great, we've got conversation going on. And that's a great time that we have. And you know, I, I realize also the importance that I have uh, in that ministry and that these young people are the next generation of this congregation here. And that is a, a very awesome responsibility and a very humbling responsibility because they're going to listen. There's at times where you're considered the mentor, the teacher, the, the guide, the leader, and, and as we know in God's word that, that that responsibility is quite high and it says in scripture that you should not all wish that responsibility because greater is your judgment on that in a positive way. Greater is that. Well, one of my key desires in this ministry is to really help them, as we've talked about, to form a biblical worldview, to challenge them on the decisions that they make each and every day and that they think about it not in a vacuum, but that there is so much to think about because the ramifications of your decision may, may not be uh, endeared. You may not see them until later on in your life. 
And that can have either positive or negative response later on. Remember, it's not about the college, the education, the job, the money, the title, the material possessions. What it's about, it's about Christ. It's about living for him who gave his life for us. It's about honoring the one that loves us more than we can imagine. It's about pleasing God. That's what it's about. And as the world challenges them to pursue, go, go for the gold as the Olympics are going on. And what's the gold? The gold for is the best school, the best education, the best job, the best title, the most money. It was funny, there was, there's a, um, I would urge you to pray for one of the, the uh, young men who come to the, the uh, Bible study. His name is Steve. He's not a believer. And we were talking about the world's de definition of success, right? A house in the suburbs, two to three vehicles, 2.4 children. How you figure that one, I don't know. If you know, figure out, let me know. He goes, wow, that's in the Bible? I said, no, 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 sorry. That was just an explanation of what the world thinks. Because he was, he was challenged by that. But... That's what the world pushes, 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 pushes. You know, you probably feel the same moment. And we have to get them around that and think of how do I respond biblically? Because at the end of the day, it's about living with God for eternity and praising him and honoring him. So what I call this generation, I don't know if anybody else has called it. If you wish to use it, you certainly can. I call it the power button generation, right? I think you know what I'm talking about. We're living in an age of Facebook. I still don't have an account on Facebook. We're living in an online game generation, YouTube, Xbox, iPod, iPhone. I think it's, it's interesting, right? YouTube and iPhone. YouTube, iPhone. Do you get that, right? <laughs> Maybe afterwards you'll laugh with me. Smartphones, e-books, laptops, text messaging, Twitter, and the greatest thing that ever happened on television is reality TV, right? <laughs> Faced with that, so you can be an avatar. If you don't know what an avatar is, look it up in the dictionary, but not, not the dictionary that you have. Look up Wikipedia, that, the trustworthy dictionary that's out there. <laughs> look it up on there and you'll find out what an avatar is. It's actually trying to be somebody who you are not. So guess what? We're raising a generation of young people who have no clue of what, what reality is. Let me give you a couple interesting facts. 94% of 18 to 20 year olds use the internet. Not a surprise, right? From a survey conducted in February of this year, 31% of 18 to 24 year olds use the that use the internet use Twitter. Tweet, I guess, I don't know, there's all these expressions that go on, right? What's interesting is that's up 70% from just nine months ago when the survey was done. May to February of this year. So May of last year to February of this year, that has gone up 70%. Now you, you do it because Twitter has, has you know, gotten bigger. So, interesting. 80% of 18 to 29 year olds who are on the internet 
use, users are part of a social network like Facebook, 87%. 95% of 18 to 24 year olds own a cell phone. Did you get that? 95%. This is the survey, so you know there's always a plus or minus margin of error. And 67% of those own smartphones. Sometimes I think it's a dumb phone. I do have one of those. <laughs> Hasn't made me any smarter, I can tell you that much. 18 to 24 year olds send or receive, on average, how many text messages do you think a day? Take a guess. Oh, you guys are crazy. That's no, actually not that much. Some of you may think your kids are doing that. But on average, that age group sends about one, or receives 110 messages a day. That's the average group. <laughs> wondering, are you wondering if your children are above average? <laughs> and that may not be in a good way, right? So what does that, what does that relate to? 3,200 text messages a month. That's why I have the unlimited plan. <laughs> Do you. And this is actually, what's interesting, this is actually twice the amount that the next age group, 25 to 34, then twice that group. Amazing, isn't it? When you get a job. Let that one sink in, right? All right, here we go. Moving on from great stuff to greater stuff. 90% of young people play video games. It surprises you, right? Once again, surprising. In a 2007 survey, I couldn't get anything more recent than 2007, there was a game, that, a very popular game, many of you have probably played it, the younger folks, World of Warcraft. The average gamer on this game, it's an online game, averaged 17 hours per week. Say to your kids, get a part-time job. <laughs> That's 17 hours a week, right? Do that, but 17 hours a week they spent, they spent playing that game. I don't know what it is, I mean, you, you can tell. Here's another interesting one, the proportion of young men. Young men seem to be a, uh, a little bit more in the online gaming. Ages 18 to 35, living at home with parents or relatives have doubled over the past 30 years. And they attribute that somewhat to the online gaming that goes on. The, 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 the amount of women that stay home is actually pretty constant. Very interesting. So again, deterioration of the role of man in society. These are some of the reality. This is reality. This is, that's not reality TV. This is reality of what's happening to our young people. So we have a battle. We have a fight. Do we not? We are all involved in it if we've got children or kids around that age. But let's even think about ourselves. So I asked, the young, I asked the young folks to pull out a sheet of paper, of which they did not have, and so I had to provide that. I asked them to pull out a pen, of which they did not have. I had to provide that for them. But I asked a number of questions. All right, so I'm asking you the same questions, OK? Mentally. You know, use your, your, your um, mental capacities on this. So on average, on a weekly basis, excluding work, how much time do you spend on these activities? TV. 
mentally start adding things up. TV. Computer games. That includes online games. Internet. Texting. Phone. I'll just put that phone. Cell phone would probably be the better word to use on that. Phone. Video games. Xbox, PS2, 3, 4, 5, whichever one they're at. Uh, you know, all of those. How much time? Add those up. Got a number? 953? No. Add that up. Then let's, let's also challenge ourselves. This is where we're talking about priorities. You know the next question, right? How much time do you spend reading God's Word and praying? Where is it? It's a big challenge. It's a big challenge. And we also face that same challenge. And we have to figure out priorities. You know, the songs that we sang this morning are about, about being, giving God worship, making him worthy. But if you look at the activities that you do on a daily basis, does that cause God to say to you, I see that you find me worthy. That I am number one. I am your all in all. That you stand at awe of me. Is that what you're thinking? So it's a challenge. It, it's, it is, and I'm not here to, to, for us to browbeat ourselves. It's for us to challenge ourselves, to encourage ourselves who God is. Because at the end of the day, it's about eternity. This life is, is but a vapor. and lasts for a while, but we are with God for eternity. These aren't pleasures. These are distractions from our honoring God. Now, I, don't, I, I want to assure you that I'm not against all these things. I mean, I'd love to learn play video games. My son just you know, let me play one time, and we, we connected online with my brother, another mistake, and his son. For every 30 seconds, my brother and I died. So how can I figure out this game if I'm dying all the time? I'm telling you, those games, um, reincarnation is awesome. <laughs> I'm telling you, I said, can you please stop killing me? I'd like to at least see some of the terrain in this game. That was pitiful. So they decided to stand, let me, they just, just then turned around the other way and they said, I'm standing behind you, shoot me. After five minutes, I figured it out and shot him. <laughs> I'm glad I don't know how to play those games sometimes, right? But that's what goes on, and I'm not against it. I, I mean, I was the first one when, when uh, Atari, if those of you who are uh, older than me or around that age remember, that's what I begged my kids for, Atari 2600, right? This thing goes around and around, you shoot. It doesn't go anywhere, but you shoot. I wanted one of those and had one got one. So it's not that these things of themselves are bad. It's how we prioritize these things and what's important and what's not. You know, you, 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 you wonder how the d detail that, that, that they go through and even play in these games. And then when, you ask, when, when they're thinking about a, a job or whatever, then the details aren't important sometimes. Folks, those of you who are, are, are growing up the details are important, especially in a world where the job market is very tough. 
those things will help you stand out and it's not how much you play the game or what, how well. I'm telling you, texting is not good for young people because then when you gotta send out emails or put your resume together to do a cover letter, you're sending it in cryptic notes, <laughs> right? I don't know what that means. And you know what else is going on these days too? Companies are now asking to see, for you to open up your Facebook account to them to see what you say. Are you all the time challenging people? How many of you heard about the um, Chick-fil-A stuff that went on this week? I was just, I was jumping up and down. I hurt my hamstring, but I was jumping up and down. It was just awesome to see the reaction that was going on to that man who took a stand for Christ. And I don't know if you saw uh, some news that came on. There was a man who posted on YouTube and was berating someone at the drive-thru. I promise I will get to my message here. But this, this is a, you know, a, a great, I'm just giving you again some thoughts about how technology, yes, you may think it's great, but it, it can turn against you very quickly. This man was filming his berating someone in the drive-in, going through, go through the drive-thru, just saying nasty stuff to her about, I can't believe you're doing this, you should be ashamed of yourselves for supporting someone who's a bigot. Just, you, it's amazing to me how we're called bigots when we stand for something, but when they stand for something that's against scripture, they're considered open-minded? I won't get that. So berates this young lady, and she was great. Just saying, can I help you, sir? What can I do? I want to serve you. And come to find out that man put it on YouTube, event, and actually, duh, this is a duh, duh moment, okay? decides to turn the thing at the end and, ta and show his face. And this man was an executive at a company. Guess what happened to him? Fired. One for the good guys. Right? This stuff goes on. We can't make it up. It goes on. And you're faced with that and you think it's funny. You think it's cool. But for the cause of Christ it will be not positive. You have to be very careful about that. Before we actually get into kind of the thought process about some principles I want to give you this morning, and we'll go through those fairly quickly, but I want to give you some, some reminders that we need to have before we even start thinking about how do we balance, create a balance in these items in our lives so that we can bring Christ glory and God glory, because that's the ultimate of what we're supposed to do, right? And everything we say and everything we drink or everything we say, whatever we do, what? Do all to the glory of God. All, folks, all, all, all. I can't stress that enough. It's all. Everything to God's honor and glory. So when you do anything, you have to ask yourself, am I bringing honor and glory to Christ's name? That will change what you do. That will change your priorities. Do you know the Holy Spirit is within you if you are a believer? What does that mean? God is with you. What are the implications? I'm not going to answer that. You think about it yourself. God is with you in the light and in the dark, in the front room and in the back room, everywhere. Those are the implications of that. Should that scare you? Yeah, but it should also encourage you. And when you make these decisions, God is with you to help you make the decisions. You're not alone. 
First reminder, we can trust God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Very familiar passage. Now, I'm, I'm one who usually likes to, to uh, preach based on a passage and follow a passage, expository preaching. But this, to me, this topic is so vital. I felt the Lord would have me just share my heart with you this morning as I've shared with uh, the college and career. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture, all scripture, we've seen that word all again. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So the man of God may be adequate, equipped for whatever. We have some extreme words here. All, every. So the word of God can equip you for every good work. Not just some things, but everything. Keep that in mind. Isn't that awesome? You should be excited about that. The world has no hope. We have hope. And we can, that's contained in God's word. Second thing we need to be reminded of, God contains everything we need that pertains to life in God. In the second Peter 1.3, can turn there, it says, that his divine power has granted to us, here we go again, that extreme word, everything. That everything pertaining to life and godliness. So everything you need to live the Christian life and make biblical decisions is contained within the covers of this book right here. Or if you've got it online, within that version you have online. Contained therein. Next thing, we have been called to holy living that glorifies God. That's what we're supposed to do. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. We're going to refer to this passage a bit more later on. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee immorality. If there are online content, whether it's games or whatever you're viewing, that has immorality, what are you supposed to do? Flee. That doesn't mean think of it for a little while to find out whether you now have a sinful thought. I guarantee you, you will have one. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And that you are not your own? If you are a Christian, you are not your own. Thinking of yourself and being selfish is not a part of the Christian life is not based on God's authority, the authority of his word. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. How many of you can separate what you do from your body? Can't do it. We, we already quoted 
1 Corinthians 10.31, so turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. I just want to remind you of these things. Don't forget, because this will help you in crafting your decision-making process to recognize and be reminded of these things. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Should be familiar passages. They're actually passages from the Old Testament or brought from the Old Testament. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all there again, there's, a, there's another extreme word, all. This is very inclusive, all your behavior. Why? Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I, God, as the example, am holy. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. This is one of my favorite passages to remind me of how I ought to live on this earth. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Talk about in, this, in, in the, the next life. But we do know, in essence, we know that when he appears, we will be like him in appearance. Because we will see him just as he is. And what should that motivate us to do? That's what verse 3 is all about. What should that drive us to do? And everyone who has this hope fixed on him does what? Purifies himself, even as he is pure. Those are strong, challenging words about our Christian walk. Next reminder, you can overcome with God's help. We're here in 1 John, turn over to chapter 4, verse 4. In the context, this is talking about false prophets and antichrist. And what does John say here in, in chapter 4, verse 4? You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, them being the false prophets and antichrist. Why or how? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That should be a great comfort for you. Satan has no power over you. He can't indwell you. The Holy Spirit's within you. He can't have victory over you if you allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign in your life. It's not going to happen. Last thing, we are to put others first. Hear that? We are to put others first. I hear often to say, okay, I know I'm supposed to do that for others, but how are they supposed to think about me? Guess what? Irrelevant question. <laughs> Who cares? I don't mean that. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that in, in, in the right way, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter, folks. Let's... Here's the verses. Let's read them together, okay? Let's read the one up here first, then we'll come over to here. Let's read them together. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Over here. 
Let each of you look not out, but also for the interests of others. Pretty clear, right? I can't say it any better than scripture, and I don't try to. It's clear that we're going to put others first. So when we think about putting our priorities together, we have to be very clear about that. Let me, now, before we get into those things, I want to read. This is a book that we've been doing with the college and career. It's a, it's a book that's called Right Thinking in a World Gone Wrong. So if you'd like to, to know what it is, talk to me afterwards. Fabulous. It's a biblical response to today's most controversial issues. The first chapter that we've been doing is all about media. And we are in a media-driven society. Don't kid yourself. Especially when the, all the press for the Chick-fil-A movement, hardly any of the mainstreams really picked up much of anything. You look, you'll see. I want to read something to you before I get into the principles. It is common in the evangelical church today for people to verbally acknowledge that the Bible, as God's word, is the final authority. Right? Would you agree with that? For both what they believe and how they live. Yet in reality, a clear connection between that public confession and personal conduct is rare. Claiming that scripture is true and complete should preclude evangelicals from turning to other sources for establishing thought and life, right? What we have in scripture has everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. Yet many do just that. In cosmology, for example, a straightforward reading of Genesis 1-2 is often dismissed on the basis of modern evolutionary theories. In apologetics, philosophy and human reason frequently take precedence over scripture. They'll say, right, well, this, you know, scripture doesn't handle that, so we need to think somewhere else. And in the church growth, demographic surveys, marketing techniques, and a man-centered theology with a watered-down gospel override clear biblical truth. The goal is to get them in. That's it, and let them stay there. To this list, the subject of morality and ethics must be added. Instead of looking to the Bible, many professing Christians look to psychology and sociology for supposed solutions to personal needs and social ills. The rise of postmodern thought has similarly skewed the church's understanding of right and wrong as an unbiblical tolerance. Here you go, that's what the world says, right? You're being intolerant. I am not being intolerant. Scripture's being intolerant, and I choose to follow Scripture. In the name of love has weakened clutches to the point, churches to the point where they are as soft on truth as they are on sin. One more piece from here. The fact is that far too many professing Christians live their lives day in and day out on the basis of something other than the Bible. Think about it, okay? I love, I love the books that say the 10 secrets to happiness. I think if there were a secret, you shouldn't have written a book on it. It's no more a secret. So you should just say the, the 10 truths of happiness, the 10 secrets. There are no secrets, folks. Solomon said it well. There's nothing new under the sun. As a result, their priorities reflect the world's priorities, not God's. Their patterns of behavior and their plans for the future differ only slightly from those of their unsaved friends and neighbors. Their expenditures reveal that their perspective is temporal 
and that they are vainly pursuing the elusive American dream. Their shortcomings, when they admit to them, receive the same fault-free labels that the world ascribes mistakes, diseases, addictions, rather than sins. As they search for answers in psychology, medication, or the self-help section of the bookstore, though they adhere to an external form of traditional Christian moralism, there isn't anything particularly biblical or Christ-centered about how they live. Isn't it interesting a lot of times how believers, when their things are great, they tout how much they trust God, God is sufficient, God is everything for them. When the tough time comes, what do they do? What's the first thing that happens when the tough times go on? Don't come to church. Don't read their Bibles. Go see a psychologist or sociologist or somebody else. That's what goes on. Instead of turning to God's word where the comfort and strength is there. And trusting God, there's, as I mentioned, there's three things that are important, right? Recognizing that God is sovereign. Recognizing that God is infinite in wisdom. And recognizing that God is perfect in love. That all things work together for our good, for our sanctification. To make us more like Christ, because that's the goal that he's trying to do. The diamond is... Is for the per roughing up the diamonds for the purpose of us looking like Christ, not like the world. <clears throat> so I want to encourage you today on a few things. I want to give you some things that, that have been helpful. This is kind of from the, the book here, but um, uh, I've kind of modified a few things and done some things that I've even used from other passages. Um, Let's just start right in and we'll, we'll get to the, the passages. So with this in mind, so with, with trying to, to really help believers making proper decisions, as you see from the, the book of 1 Corinthians, the, the challenge that was going on there, right, was they were being divisive. Their priorities were, were on their own. They're on their self. And what they, can they do to practice their own priorities? So it was a, it was a major challenge that was going on in the, in the Corinthian church at the time. They were making decisions that were dividing the church. We make decisions in our households that divide the household. And we cannot do those things. So what are these principles? I want to give them to you, and they're all, there's seven of them, and they all start with the letter E. So it helps in memory, right, when there's alliterations like that. What's the first one? The edification principle. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. The edification principle. So when you're making decisions, every day you've got to make decisions. I've got to decide whether I'm going to hit the snooze button or not. <laughs> I'm going to decide whether I'm going to get up and take a shower or, or just not and, and do something separate. <laughs> I got, you make decisions every day. Answer the phone. Go to work. Don't go to work. Call in sick. Not be sick, but call in sick. You've got decisions to make every day. Edification principle, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. The edification principle. The question you need to ask yourself is, will this activity produce spiritual benefit? Will it produce spiritual benefit? Second one. 
That's the edification principle. Second one is the enslavement principle. Turn back a few passages or a few pages in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's look at verse 12. You should recognize this, very similar. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. They were look, uh, they, they, I guess there was a survey that when they did that survey on the online folks, and they, I think they, um, they surveyed over a thousand of the people who were big on one of the online games. I can't remember if it was World of Warcraft or Halo or something like that. And according to the World Health Organization, that conservative group, you know, I'm being sarcastic, they're not very conservative at all, but they, in their definition of addiction, 12% of those folks would be considered addictive to online games. That was in 2007. I can't imagine what it would be today with the amount of time that's being spent on that. The enslavement principle, with this activity, lead to spiritual bondage. This is something you say, I cannot go out this day without doing this activity. I can't spend a day without playing a video game. I can't spend a day without texting one of my friends. I cannot spend a day without looking on the internet. That can cause spiritual bondage, and we are to avoid that. So when we make a decision to do something, we have to ask our question, Will it edify or will it enslave us? Let's continue on. The exposure principle. Um, we read this passage, verses 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I think I referred to it. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. My goal and the college and careers to get those, those, those young people to desire to glorify God and to want to please him in whatever decision they make. The exposure principle. Will this activity expose my mind or body to defilement? Will it do that or not? Number four, the esteem principle. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 9. This is in, in the same, talking about number one priority, right, is glorifying God. Number two priority is others. Number three priority, if we want to add that, is, is ourselves. Certainly got to feed ourselves, clothe ourselves, and all that stuff to keep ourselves going to do those things. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through, through verses 8 9, but food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do eat, nor the better if we do do not eat, excuse me, if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So we don't want, we don't want to cause anything we do to be a stumbling block for someone else. Will this activity benefit others or cause them to stumble? Number five, the evangelism principle. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 9. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. You know that allusion to the Old Testament during Moses' time. Nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. 
Now these things happened to them as an example. As they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take, take heed that he does not fall. Let me make sure. Sorry, I'm actually reading the wrong passage. I knew something wasn't right here. Let's start reading in verse, chapter 10, verse 19. Sorry about that. What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are, not, we are not stronger than he, are we? All things are lawful, but all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Again, that same we used before. But this is the evangelism principle. Will this activity further the cause of the gospel? Or will it cause someone to think, ah, oh, you're no different than me in that area. Things you watch on TV, movies you go to, places you visit. You have to ask yourself that question. You think, well, you're, you're being too hard, you're being too thoughtful. This is all about Christ, folks. If you, if you want to live for Christ and be like Christ, then you have to have a mentality and attitude of this way. It just has to be. Number six, the ethics principle. First Corinthians, we're just, we've got the same passage. Let's start looking in verse 25 of First Corinthians chapter 10. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience' sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's, for why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? Will this activity violate my conscience or even someone else's conscience? You say, wow, that's a lot to consider. Yeah. Did not Christ give the ultimate sacrifice? It's the least we could do. Simple. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which is not yours, which is Christ's. Finally on this one, the exaltation principle. We said it, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatsoever you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Will, it, will this activity bring glory to God? So let's, let's, let's review. First one was the edification principle. Will this activity produce spiritual benefit? Number two, the enslavement principle. Will this activity lead to spiritual bondage? Number three, the exposure principle. Will this activity expose my mind or body to defilement? Number four, the esteem principle. Will this activity benefit others or cause them to stumble? Others principle. The evangelism principle. Will this activity further the cause of the gospel? Ethics principle. Will this activity violate my conscience or someone else's? And number seven, the exaltation principle. Will this activity bring glory to God? I don't think it's unfair to say that we need to, we need to ask these questions, we need to think about this as we make decisions. What are the implications of that? 
The implication is that we need to submit to God, right? We need to submit to God. We need to put ourselves under God and say, you know, we're not our own. We need to glorify you. Let's do it. And let's move on from there. But what are those implications? First of all, submission to Christ demands good stewardship. Good stewardship. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Think of the man who said, hey, I have great things. I'm going to tear down my barns, build new ones. And God says, you fool. Your life is required of me today, tonight. Submission to Christ demands good stewardship. Submission to Christ denounces impurity and worldliness. Why? Why do I say that? If you look at 1 John, right, chapter 2, verse 15, let's turn there, 1 John 2, 15. We already read, right, flee immorality. We have to denounce that. 1 John 2.15, I know you're very familiar with this passage. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Our society, I mean, you just look at the... the the world and the world of politics, it's a push, it's a push to do anything against God, to do everything against God. Not to please him, but to please yourself. We were not created. I was made to praise the Lord and I will praise him. That's what we were created for. And we need to do that. So, number one, submission to Christ demands good stewardship. Submission to Christ announces impurity and worldliness because why? Worldliness and impurity lead to destruction. Destruction. Submission to Christ determines right priorities. You ask the question, right? How do you define success? Ask anybody in the world, how do you define success? That's what I was saying, the 2.4 children define success. Wouldn't want the two, I wouldn't want the point four. Define success. It does not, that does not define success. Joshua 1.8 defines success. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, which means the time of everything else and the less shrinks and the time of God increases day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written, it, written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. God defines success as, as obeying and loving him. That's what he defines as success. Galatians 2.20 says, right, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but yet not I, but Christ liveth, lives in me. In life I live, I live for the, his glory. That's what Galatians 2.20 says. Finally, submission to Christ defines a proper perspective. I use that 1 John 3, 1 through 3, right? This is, world is not our home. You know that song, right? This world is not our home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That's where it is. I'm not here. 
as Pastor Dan likes to call us, we're aliens. Doesn't mean I got three eyes. I got four, but who's counting? Right? We're, we're, we're aliens to this world because we're strangers now. Now that we have Christ, our home is in heaven. And therefore, we should be looking to our heavenly home. What's that all about? It's not about cars. It's not about boats. It's not about homes. It's not about a bank account. It's not about a retirement plan. It's not about a vacation home. While those things in themselves are not bad, are your priorities right on those things? That's the question. Are you using them for God's glory? So, folks, it's always up to us to change, right? We have to make the change. We have to be willing to make the change. We have to admit to God that I am not living for him. I have not given up everything for him, and I'm, I'm willing to do that. I need to do that. Our Lord Jesus Christ promised to help, or did he not? When he left this earth, he says, I will give you a comforter, who's, of, who's another comforter, but of the same Commit today to making choices and decisions that would bring honor and glory to his name. So turn off the power button occasionally and meditate and ponder upon God. Let's pray. Lord, these are hard things to think about because our society is just saturated with selfishness. We need to be selfless. Help us to do that. Help us to be like Christ, your son, the greatest example. Help us to do that. We, we, we don't want to portray a life that doesn't bring honor and glory to your name. We want to portray one that, that points people to you. Help us to do that, to be willing to make the change, and to take the steps necessary to ensure the success because we are meditating upon your word. We are obeying your word. And for this, we'll give you all the honor and glory, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.